so what we learned last time was was that um, the Rebbe Hashab founded his yeshiva in order to counter people who were fighting against God and fighting against Mashiach. In the end of chapter 89, in Tehillim, it says that those who scorn God and those who scorn Mashiach. The Rebbe Hashab said those who scorn God are referring to the Haskalah movement. In his time, there was a... Uh, a organization that was bent on uprooting God from Jewish children. And, huh? Yeah, well, it took, it took on different forms. And he wanted his yeshiva to counter that, and that, and that they should restore faith in, even in, in people which were challenged. And the Rabbi Ashab also said that um, there'll be a time that there'll be people, people who learn Torah and they daven, they do mitzvahs, but they have a weak moon in the coming of Mashiach. And he wants his students of his yeshiva to strengthen people's beliefs in the coming of Mashiach. And he called his first his yeshiva as, a, as the soldiers of the house of David. The reason he does he calls it that is because he says, Mashiach has to come. And the Baal Shantiv, Mashiach told the Baal Shantiv, Baal Shantiv in the Shema once ascended to the chamber of the Baal Shantiv, and he asked, he asked Mashiach, when are you coming? Mashiach told the Baal Shantiv, when you're wellsprings, we spread to the outside, then I'll come. So the Rebbe Hashab said, so basically, that's what we're doing. We're spreading the wall springs of the wall shemtiv. But there's a war. And these, 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 these are the two oppositions, the, those who fight against God and those who believe officially in Torah Mitzvah, but they're cold. To the, he, said, he says between coldness and denying God is a very thin line. And in, really, when you study Torah, do Mitzvah, it should be like fire. Because it says in the Torah, Hashem Elokecha, God is called consuming fire. So learning should be with fire and dying should be with fire. Okay. And... He, um, he said there are people that officially believe in terror, but they're weak in the coming of Mashiach, and that's what he wants the yeshiva to accomplish, that they should restore faith in God, restore the faith in coming of Mashiach. And it's a bit of a prophecy, because the students of his yeshiva, of course, taught terror on the ground, and they continue, that yeshiva teaches terror all over the world, to the various Chabad centers all over the world. But more than that, the, the Rebbe commented on this, on this talk of the Rebbe Rashab, and he said that every one of us has to make our own home to be like the Yeshiva Techatim. That's like this, what was unique about this Yeshiva on the surface was that this Yeshiva studied in depth the inner dimension of Torah. Usually, Yeshiva studied Nigla, Shachamarach, and here there was, it, was, it was dedicated time every day to study the Neshama of the Torah. That was on the surface the difference, but beyond the surface difference, they actually practically, the graduates of the yeshiva, what they do? They went out there, taught Torah on the ground then, and they continue through all, all throughout the world, bringing a moon on the coming of, coming of Mashiach, a moon on Hashem, and, and restoring faith. And so, so that's what the theme of this talk is about. But he's very, he's very um, emphatic about uh, not doing things by rote. Another very sharp language he uses here about learning, uh, uh, how even if you're studying Torah and if you're davening, but he used an expression to feel the, the neshama of an amen. Some shuls, he says, they have on the, on the lectern, know before whom you stand. The lectern has to know. What about me? And he says, he says a, a chassid has to have it engraved in his heart and mind to feel that Hashem is before you. And, uh, and it is something which, which really, really is about each of us. And, and therefore, even though, even though it's a, a Sunday morning and people just recover from Shabbos, it's not going to work that bad, right? Some, some people in the valley. Some people recover from the valley. Alright, let's go. Okay, great. We're up to the words, the fire, and it's about, um, you'll find it. The paragraph starts with the word. 
this fire. <laughs> this fire is present only... Seven swipes down at an approximate three quarters of a millimeter speed per swipe. You can search the This fire is present only in the Torah study and the prayers of one who it may be said that if he is found worthy, the Torah serves him as an elixir of life. Only someone who... The, the, the Gemara says the Torah could either be an elixir of life or a poison. So who feels fire? In their Torah study, it's only someone who has a merit, someone who's refined. In contrast, the Torah study of those who are unworthy is cold, and it chills all those around them, where they conceive of Torah study superficially as mere academic exercise in legalistics. Their unspiritual frigidity distorts and darkens the light of Torah. The light of the Torah is the inner truth of Torah law. It is the garment of God, the giver of the Torah. Sensitivity to the light of the Torah and a perception of the giver of the Torah are one only through prolonged prayer by meditating on a godly concept until it shines within one's heart to the extent that it arouses a love and fear of Hashem and motivates good actions. At that point, one has made contact with the light of Torah and senses the giver of the Torah. So, In other words, only by davening and meditating can you really become and generating a genuine feeling of love and reverence for Hashem does that put you in touch with what Torah is about? Otherwise, you're just learning information. Just an academic. Prominent scholars, listen to this. Even Go'inim. You know what Go'inim means? The word Go'inim is an acronym for, um, it's numerically equivalent to 60 because there's, they know all 60 Masechtas. Even Go'inim are not necessarily privileged to appreciate the light of the Torah. It is possible to be an outstanding Torah scholar, a veritable prodigy, a prolific fountain of innovative and mind-boggling hypotheses and yet have no connection whatever with the light of Torah, nor the vaguest conception of the giver of the Torah. Vaguest, vaguest conception. Is that like really vaguest? Like vaguest? Like my daughter came over to me in the middle of my speech yesterday. Stati, Hashem doesn't have eyes. Is that a person? Is that what you Who appreciates the light of the Torah? An oivit, an oivit is in the Hasidic lexicon. An oivit means someone who really works on themselves and tries to uh, and tries to uh, generate. They, they don't they don't just try to um, understand things, but they want to change themselves by by the study. When the person studies Torah, we learned earlier, you're supposed to feel that the Torah you're learning is for you. That you have to change. The Torah is a message for you. So an oivit is someone who takes Torah seriously and he really wants to affect change. One who toils in the service of Hashem. He meditates as he prays upon a godly concept. It is he who senses the luminary within the Torah and has the conceptual tools to appreciate and become aware of godliness. It is a task of the Tamimim to refine and elevate the conceptions that are taken for granted by worldly folk and to warm up their, spiritu- their spiritually chilly Jewish environment. No one should be rejected or humbled in the process, even though this might well be acceptable within a cordial circle of intimate friends in the, com- in the comradely atmosphere of, of, of Hebrengen, as a passing preparation for the actual task of refining oneself and, one, and one's peers. In other words, he's saying, don't, don't tear off anybody's nose. He's saying, he, he's saying you ha- you, there is a concept that people need to be refined, but don't, uh, don't, be, ag- don't be aggressive and don't uh, uh, be abrasive. He wasn't giving us any material to use against our fellow students. He was just letting us know that this exists and we need to reflect in our own life. 
you have to inspire others as well, but not, not in a way of hurting them. Preparation is necessary for every spiritual task, especially for the task of refining the animal soul, which must be dealt a powerful, preparatory, all-inclusive blow that will crush its self-assertiveness. What Rabbi Hashem is saying is that sometimes you need to be like, have like a shock treatment in order to like begin to serve Hashem. Sometimes you need to have like some just knock you off your high horse in order to be able to like start, off, start over again. So a picture, he's now he's going to describe a few situations of very, very gifted people who they, they encounter some people which weren't very friendly to them and how that was actually the first step of their serving of Hashem. That actually did them a favor. He's not saying to try this at home, folks. He's, he, he just, he's pointing out that, that you may be thinking you're doing really good and that an animal soul really needs to be dealt with. Animal soul wants selfish, wants everything for itself. And by not giving in and uh, not, not bending towards whatever the animal soul's whims are, you actually are able to uh, discover your neshama. Picture the local magnate who is thus addressed even to his face as Rabbi Yaakov the Nagid. In other words, it, 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 Rabbi Yaakov was such a philanthropist that he's so generous and always giving staka. They called him Rabbi Yaakov the generous guy, Rabbi Yaakov the rich one. Making his grand entry into Febrengen of Chassidim. Yaakov comes into Febrengen. Who calls out him unceremoniously? None other than the most penniless Chassid in town. He's, prop, he's popular, known as Matl the Kapsin, Matl the Collector, because he rattles the alms boxes for their various local charities. So we have Yaakov and the Nagid, and Motel the cops and the one, the one who's, who, whose job it is to shake the pushkas. So he screams out to Harav Yaakov the Nagid. He says, Yekel. That's the uh, 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 informally way of saying Yaakov. Come over here. And he sits the magnate at his side. Or imagine Rabbi Leyazid the prodigy, the celebrated... That was it. That was it. There's another part of the story that Rabbi Shab says later on. He says, Hashem, help me have the same kavana when I say the words in davening. Um, when I daven and I ask Hashem that I should illuminate my eyes with the study of Torah, help me have the same kavana that Yaakov has when he gets up to the words and wealth and glory are before you. Yaakov, and he meant it sincerely. He meant, he meant sincerely, like, I should really have the same kavana about wealth and glory, about illuminating my eyes with Torah and uh, as a, he has when he says the wealth and glory he didn't mean it to insult him so Rabbi Yaakov like Yaakov that, that's bring that guy to base the song <laughs> <laughs> or imagine a prodigy we have multiple cops instead or imagine a the prodigy the celebrated Talmudic invader from the learned city of Shklov the rabbi's own son-in-law no less stepping into an informal house of study where he encounters a bunch of chassidim he is immediately greeted with a demonstrative glee by Rabbi Shlema the ginger the ginger bearded school teacher, or by Lebe, Mamazetz's jolly and irreverent son. Make room for young Lazerke, the celebrated Talmudic innovator. This approach breaks through, make, make way, this, here's the big Mechadesh, here's a, whoa, Mechadesh is here. This approach breaks through the arrogance that often accompanies wealth and the pride that often accompanies Torah knowledge. In itself, however, this broad blow is not sufficient. As far as the arrogance of the rich is concerned, this broad blow must be softened up by a finally a focused program of clarification, which sorts out the good and the bad that both result from wealth. In other words, it's, it's, the problem is not the wealth. The problem is the, that the, the residue that they may leave of, of arrogance. So, so it, it, it's a good that there was an initial like, like, uh, chutzpah, 
uh, statement to this person that punctured his ego, but puncturing the ego isn't enough. There has to be now something that's done with that to uh, what has to happen. It's okay, so, 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 so I'm Baal Gaiva, now what? On the positive side, since wealth enables one to support Torah scholars and sustain the needy and offer interest-free loans and disperse charity, someone needs to teach the benefactor to appreciate his godly given privilege. However, there's also negative dimension to wealth. As is implied by the verse, you have become fat, thick, and gross. Often, a wealthy man answers brazenly. That's a Talmudic dictum. A wealthy man responds brazenly. His riches blind him from perceiving how crude he really is. He develops a sage and scholarly self-image, seeks to uncover long-forgotten claims of lineage, and freely proffers his definitive views on the suitability of the local Rav Shechet and what should and should not be studied in the Cheder Yeshiva, in the language of Reb because if you're rich, they think you really know. Okay, he overlooks the fact that it, as an ignoramus, he has no conception of these matters. If an ignorant pauper were to venture his opinion, he would, he would be the first to silence him as crazy. To him it is clear that the counsel of a rich man is ever so much wiser. Those who misuse their God-given wealth should be made aware of the tremendous responsibility they carry, for they themselves can, can transform their wealth into a potential problem. A man who uses wealth as intended for good deeds enjoys their fruits in this world, while the principal reward remains in the world to come. One who does not use his wealth according to the intention of, the, of its giver, meaning Hashem, not only does not enjoy, not only does not enjoy the present fruits of the, of the future, not only does not enjoy the present fruits of the future principle, but makes do with a present material substitute for a lost spiritual future. Yes, want, want, to, want to take over? Can you, can you read with me? Moreover, I see what moreover. Yeah, yeah what can you reading? Me. Yeah. Rabbi, you think we're all looking at the actual sticker right now? Yeah. Sure. Moreover, a man who uses his wealth properly merits himself and spreads merits amongst others. One who does not is not only himself a sinner, but also causes others to sin, especially if he supports the above described schools, which violate the sanctity of Torah and which employ teachers who are disbelievers. (laughs) who do not wear titties, who scoff at the teachings of our sages, who teach Chumash as if heaven preserve us. It were an old wife's tale and the prophets as if they were a mere literacy literary, classi- li- literary li- classic. These teachers, particularly those trained and employed by the society for the dissemination of enlightenment, uproot the pupil's faith and nature nurture, with, nurture with, within them a hatred for Torah and Yiddishkeit. Ultimately, the, student, you take over, okay? <laughs> the students educated in these schools will be responsible for more religious persecution and anti-Semitism than the severest program. As he's saying, these people who are teaching Torah in this way they're taking, they're, they're literally going over to a Jewish child and taking away their amuna, and they're causing such a calamity in the future of the Jewish people. They're raising these kids in a way that's what kind of people. People who in, in, in Russia, there were people who deliberately tried to uproot children's amuna. They made schools to enlighten the moon. That's the right. moment. Um, I want to take over. Yeah.
In summary, in summary, see in summary? Just cut the coffee. What do we have? You see the words in summary? Yeah, you have it? Yeah, yeah, don't worry. Okay, please record the next part. I gotta go. What? Record you. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're trying to figure out who's going to be the next Jedi. In summary, wealth, man's greatest challenge is simultaneously one of the most desirable, most undesirable of God's creation. The man who knows what to do with it according to the God's creation is happy. In contrast to his opposite number, both in 